All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the Faultline Podcast. My name is Alex Davis, and I must apologise for last week's audio quality. Fingers crossed, this time much, much better. We, we had too much faith in the out-of-the-box experience. So, uh, yeah, of course, joining me, as usual, our esteemed editor, Tom Flanagan. Hello, back on the beer this week. Um, I'm sure that will help with the um, audio quality. I think so. It's all, it's all radio waves at the end of the day. <laughs> and, of course, from, from London, esteemed colleague, Rafi Cohen. Hello. So, fingers crossed this, this all goes off without hitch. But, Tommy, um, second week back in the saddle... Uh, and you've got a bit of a headline, it seems. Ooh, yeah. We've got a juicy one for you this week. Um, I've actually been sat on this for quite a few weeks. Uh, I was hoping to put it in the last issue before Christmas. Had to hold off. Wait for the all clear from the Brazilian government, because those are not the kind of people you want to piss off, really. So, admittedly... I've got, I've, got a, I've got a bit of a confession, because last week, I, um, when I was talking about the Faultline 2022 predictions piece, I spoke a bit about LCEVC and how I thought 2022 was going to be a big year, because they're going to um, get some big licenses. I knew about that I, <laughs> already. <laughs> so I've sat on this, and what's happened is that um, the SBTVD forum... It's a bit of a mouthful of acronyms on top of LCEVC, which is the Brazilian Digital um, Terrestrial TV Forum, um, which is um, uh, supported by the Ministry of Communications, has selected LCEVC after um, a call for proposals in 2020. And that's finally um, been made public knowledge this week. And this is the... So the, the next generation of, of TV in Brazil is kind of similar to ATSC 3, which our listeners and readers will be more familiar with in the US and South Korea, but it's considered more sophisticated. It's similar, more sophisticated. So back to the, um, the, the point um, for VNOVA, this is, this is huge because unlike standards like ATSC 3, TV 3 in SBD, SBTVD, Oh, I'm going to get that mixed up so many times. Much easier writing it than talking about it. Three, in Brazil, is it's made law. It's not guidelines or spe- specifications like um, other standards that are used to in the, in the Western world. This becomes law, so it means every TV manufacturing, coding, supplier, silicon manufacturer has to support LCEVC from 2023 in Brazil. And that will ramp up until 2027. So they'll start making it mandatory from 2023, and that could be worth tens of millions a year in licensing uh, revenues for VNOVA over those four years. And I'm told that it's supposed to expand across Latin America. I did reach out to the SBTVD forum, (laughs) and they couldn't confirm that for me at the moment. So... We know it's, it's just going to be in Brazil, but potentially expanding across the continent, which could make it much more than tens of millions a year. So I said in the, in the piece that we might sit down on a rainy day and try figuring it out. I say we, I'll probably hand that over to Alex, because he's much better at that kind of thing, and figure out how much money it could actually be worth to be Nova after these year, after all those years. So, um, yeah, this, this is huge, and um, it's, a, it's a big kind of mic drop moment. It's... It's interesting that Vinova hasn't um, decided to issue any PR over it. 
um, because it's re- it really is a mic drop moment and it's just it just kind of wants to sit back and watch everyone kind of talk about it and how big this is not that anyone else will I suspect it's probably just going to be us for the time being the SBTVD forum did tell me that I, could, I nailed it that time so we yeah, said that did say that they're going to put out an announcement in the next few weeks so might get some additional details in there and I won't go into all the details of the history of um, uh, TV from, starts from TV1 and then up to TV2 and then t- TV2.5 and now we're on TV3.0 in Brazil so um, got all those details in, in the piece and yeah no so it's a really interesting story and um, it's a big moment for for Vinova so I'm, I'm well excited and yeah please check out the full piece and we'll be back with uh, some some more details for that it's happening dot gif nice yeah looking forward to it good stuff Tommy fingers crossed and yes I will bust out the spreadsheet if needed nice we'll, we'll, we'll do some manipulation of course now moving on to our second piece this is uh, Rafi and Rafi I'm pretty sure um, we've uh, we've been looking at this in the past oh Wi-Fi standards to tussle for devices as operators fully grasp multi-AP Rafi this rings a bell uh, yeah it rings a bell because this is a uh Broadcast we've been working on for quite some time in Rethink TV, which is Faultline's sister research wing. Um, but I kind of, I think there were too many other good stories towards the end of last year, so I just never actually got around to talking about it on the podcast. There's a bit of a summary about, you know, just kind of the the general things we found. I won't go into too many numbers because it can become a bit of a snooze fest in an audio format. But um, yeah, initially we were, I think initially our focus was trying to look at the more premium tier of Wi-Fi services like smart home, um, security, parental controls. I've been talking to operators and vendors. We kind of quickly found out that most operators aren't really too interested in this. Um, and really what everyone actually wants to know is just when they're going to be upgrading their, their CPE, essentially. Um, so we're looking at a few different technologies. We're looking at Wi-Fi cloud management. Um, this is a combination of cloud applications and on-device uh, software on the access point to regulate policy operations. Uh, so like changing channels and band switching. Um, so we found that this is currently has a footprint of 125 million homes globally. Um, and then this is set to uh, expand quite a lot to 640 million homes by 2026, which marks about 60% of all broadband homes globally. So Wi-Fi cloud management set to expand a lot. Um, this accommodates a rise in homes with more than one access point. Um, uh, this is an interesting one because you kind of, Essentially, the the ceiling is 100% when it's with uh, when it comes to Wi-Fi cloud management. But from speaking to vendors, we found that the ceiling for multi-AP homes is actually, in fact, much lower. At least homes in the West, one vendor told us that um, was around 38% of homes only actually need more than one access point in order to ensure full coverage throughout the home. Um, and so we've kind of set set it so that things really start to plateau once any region starts reaching, you know, the upper 30s in, ter- in terms of percentage penetration to multi-AP homes. So we're at about 55 million homes today, and this is set to grow to 325 million homes by 2026, um, which marks around 27% of all homes globally. So there's still, you know, at least a bit more runway left for global deployments. But by the end of the period, we definitely found that North America has effectively plateaued, it's kind of reached the market cap. Europe's not probably only a couple of years away from doing the same, so maybe by 2030, we will have seen Europe completely plateau as well. Um, but when we're looking at multi-AP, I think the main the main interesting point we found is that 
you've kind of got two sectors. You've got operator-led and retail-led. Uh, so either your operator's providing all these additional access points, all the hardware or the software, or you're just going out to a shop and just buying an extra you know, extender. And while the retail market is currently in the lead, I think in the next year or so, we're kind of expecting the operator-led market to overtake globally. Um, and this means that while both, you know, the amount of sales in both segments do grow over our five-year period, um, operator-led deployments really shoot up quite significantly. And uh, you see the retail-led ones really plateau. And then in really advanced countries like North America, um, we even see this kind of go into decline by the end. Uh, in terms of retail-led deployment. Um, and the, the final thing we were looking at when it comes to CPE was uh, the arrival of Wi-Fi standards. So Wi-Fi 6, um, it has been about for a year or two, but I think the next five years is when we're really set to see it uh, expand across CPE globally. And we were kind of, trying to, kind of trying to weigh up how much the silicon shortages and the general economic instability of the pandemic was really going to hold operators back from investing in new technologies. But the general feeling is that around 2023, maybe a bit after, um, hopefully a lot of the bottlenecks will have lifted and there will have been enough rounds of, you know, there are so, so many cycles of silicon that need to occur before, you know, your average operator is really confident in investing in it and doing mass rollouts of CP. And people think around 2023, there will have been, you know, one, around two or three cycles of CP that, you know, have been tested and then all the faults have been um re-examined and replaced and then you know around that point operators will be willing to deploy it majorly and the other main impetus on that is that um, of course six gigahertz is slowly being unlocked around the world um, and as regulators slowly allow the six gigahertz band for unlicensed use then it means that operators can offer wi-fi 6 cpe we're already seeing uh you know we kind of I think we say in the report that, you know 2022 is really when 6 cpe is going to start taking up a tool and already at the beginning of this year, we had announcements from Comcast, I think Netgear, you know, all these leading uh, providers, both in the retail and operator sector, are finally, you know, uh, lifting the veil on all this uh, 6E enabled CPE. Um, and lastly, you know, I'm trying to stay away from the numbers as much as possible. The, the last thing was that if we were looking at um, Wi-Fi device penetration or Wi-Fi standard penetration in consumer client devices, it was really interesting seeing the patterns of standards coming and going. You've got, we've got Wi-Fi 5 has the majority of market share of devices throughout our period for the next five years, but you see the really fast decline of Wi-Fi 4. Um, Wi-Fi 4 falls from like a 45% market share in consumer client devices down to just 7%. Um, and you see kind of Wi-Fi 5 stay around, you know, stay around the 40% range. But Wi-Fi 6 grows to around 38% market share by 2026, and Wi-Fi 7 grows to about 17%. So you kind of, they all follow this weird kind of, I guess, it's, you know, kind of like a mountain pattern. But you, if, if you see it all in one graph, you really see how they come and go and kind of tussle for presence on consumer electronics. Um, so yeah, a lot more detail in the report would, would recommend checking out if you got a chance, but pretty happy with what we ended up with. Excellent stuff. Thank you, Rafi. Yeah, head to our... Uh website of course you'll find the exact summary there uh, I'll plug it now before the end um, but yeah I will also provide numbers so uh, no HP analysis this week uh, but I was looking at NVIDIA's Omniverse arriving with UGC and ARM key to metaverse domination um, so the, the gist here uh, NVIDIA back in May 2020 unveils the Omniverse and of course um, 
that was slightly before the most recent wave of metaverse hype. Uh, but the sort of central pitch there was you already use us for graphic design and you know processing and all these fancy AI functions you'll need. So why not rely on NVIDIA as both like a software platform and the hardware foundation to create sort of convincing AR and, and VR based metaverse environments. And then nothing really happened for a good few months. Uh, towards the end of 2020, um, we got a few details about uh, beta, private beta program. And then we moved into April 2021 when the Omniverse Enterprise subscriptions appeared for the uh, chiefly price of $9,000 a year as the starting point. So it meant that this creation environment was very much behind you know, a very big paywall. And as we've seen in the AVOD side of things, user-generated content is extremely important to driving a sort of an ecosystem around these services. So what's key here is that NVIDIA has now announced the public availability of the Omniverse, and there's a free tier. So you and one other person are able to collaborate on these environments using the, you know, the big and fairly extensive and fairly well-liked, from what we can tell, uh, development environment. So the key there is that there's a free tier, should mean that the user-generated content crowd and that sort of community of creators can start building metaverse-based entertainment. And of course, uh, metaverse, extremely buzzy, extremely hype, but very sort of little substance at the moment. And we are years, if not decades away from you know, a convincing metaverse experience. And the technology, especially the display technology, has at least two or three generations to, to jump, I think. You know, if the metaverse is reliant on a headset, you need a significant amount of these devices deployed in the field. So, you know, a billion of these things have to be sold, maybe. If it's just going to be glasses, same problem. Um, we saw what happened with Google Glass. Um, that wasn't particularly popular. Society wasn't quite ready. Uh, now that we've had even more years of sort of Facebook surveillance headlines, um, you know, I think it might be worse um, than just the fear of someone taking camera shots of you. Uh, yeah, so that, that's a different angle as well. Uh, so then if you want to get beyond the devices, you're going to need some sort of system that hangs out in a room, like a you know your old projector, but now it's projecting light into your eyes to sort of trick you. Um, and then I guess the final evolution, some kind of, you know, chip that would uh, directly manipulate your optic nerve. And uh, yeah, we're, we're a while away from that, I would imagine. But the sort of subtext here, NVIDIA's come out and gone, you know, here's the Omniverse. NVIDIA is trying to buy ARM and that would give it a kind of inexorable position in the devices because so many of these AR and VR devices are reliant on ARM designs. And NVIDIA still doesn't have regulatory um, approval to buy ARM. And I think the if you join the dots just a little bit, you'll see that if it does buy ARM, that sets it up for a bit of anti-competitive uh, scrutiny. And as the sort of regulators globally are turning against these big tech sort of acquisitions, especially ones that are not in the same field, the ones that are a bit more um, horizontal rather than, well, actually horizontal and vertical, I guess. But as those big mergers come to the fore, um, there's going to be more and more resistance. So 
yeah, 100,000 Omniverse users at the moment, says NVIDIA. It doesn't say how many of those are enterprise, but you would assume uh, most of them are, and that there's uh, a lot of money uh, sloshing around in there if the starting point is uh, $9,000 a year. So, that's the end of our long-form content. Uh, we will, of course, jump forward to the worth noting section. And as a tradition, Rafi, because this time you're here, we didn't forget about you. Our apologies. Five years ago, this week, Rafi, what was going on? Um, just a week after first encountering the company at CES, um, Zumo had like uh, announced a pretty grand target of being deployed in up to 25 million homes by the end of 2017. Um, it was pretty impressive. The company only had around 29 employees at the time, but um, the OTT platform and recommendation software had a lot of confidence uh, from a recent deployment deal with Hisense. But um, as we know from our LFG forecast that we did, uh, momentum soon faded. And Zemo's monthly active user count was only around the 10 million mark by the time Comcast acquired it in early 2020. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> quite a few of those. Um, knocking around. Lofty ambitions never quite panned out. Uh, yeah, sweet right time. Any other worth noting highlights? Yeah, I spotted something that a lot of people might not have because it was only published in French. Yeah. And uh, I translated it, as you do, out of curiosity. And it's a, a press release from Veromatrix that says that it sold its... NFC near-field communication patent licensing business to Infineon Technologies for a measly $2 million, <laughs> which is just a crazy fall from grace. We've been tracking this part of the, the very matrix business for, for quite a, year, uh, a while since it merged with Inside Secure and um, resultantly went public. Um, so, uh, the, I mean, it's been very inconsistent in terms of revenues. We look at 2019, it made $3.9 million. 2020, it made... Zero dollars, and then in Q two twenty one alone, it made sixteen point two million dollars. So that two million dollar price tag is extremely suspect. I feel like I've missed something here, so I'm going to try and dig into that a bit. Hopefully, speak to someone at Verimatrix and find out what's going on there because two million dollars just it just doesn't make sense really. And uh, I know it was hoping for a very lucrative NFC deal with Apple. That clearly never happened, and it was involved in some litigation case in China as well. So, yeah, that's a very suspect one, which we'll um, we'll dig into a bit more. One wonders if there's any horrendous lawsuits just lurking in the background and they're trying to bail out of them that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. All right, my little final piece: Google confirmed there's 110 million monthly active users for Android TV and Google TV. That is up from 80 million in May 2021. Over 250 global partners, 170 pay TV operators, apparently. So, yeah, another little tidbit for us to look back on about a year when we refresh that data set. But, thank you very much, Jen. That is the end of Fault Line 121. Tell me, is there anything lined up for 922? <laughs> Actually, next week, I'm going to an event in Bristol at a a media and TV industry members only club Ooh. that I, I can't believe worked in Bristol for six years and never heard of and it's an event with some some speakers talking about sports tech and uh, NFTs and some other uh, media things and um, yeah, it's, it's quite a exclusive invite only thing so I'm very chuffed to be going to that and um, I heard that everyone who goes gets a, a free uh, NFT art Thing. <laughs> so, 
this time next week I'm going to be an NFT owner I'm going to be on the blockchain yeah I'm buzzing so I can't <laughs> wait to tell you all about that or not if it's yeah. underwhelming yeah. <laughs> got, got suspicion yeah. one way also hoping to have a call with uh, Russia um, uh, MTS the big um, big fat Russian telco has got this uh, Entema, Entema by MTS AI division which is all about investing in, in startups so hoping to speak to um, someone there for a story next week excellent stuff great right dear listener head to the website rethinkresearch.biz to check out Faultline four week free trial and also the aforementioned Rethink TV exec summaries uh, please send us some uh, juicy goss if you got some leave us a review on your podcasting app of choice uh, hope the new year has um, got off to a good start and fingers crossed everybody our audio gremlins are maybe solved but yes we will see you next week Bye-bye from me. Cheers, I'll see you later. Bye.